Uh, we're going to turn to God's Word now. Ruth's going to, to read that. It's uh, from Luke chapter 10. So if you grab your Bibles and move over towards Luke chapter 10. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. It's on page 1041 in the Bibles in the seats. The parable of the Good Samaritan, which maybe be very familiar um, to uh, a lot of you, um, but hopefully we'll unpack a few good things um, just after. So Luke chapter 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So it's great to be with you. Um, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, thanks to William for that. As has been said, my name's Ruth. Um, I live in Belfast. I'm married to Ed. We have two kids and a dog. Um, and I've been working with Christian Aid for three years, <clears throat> just over three years. When, and I want to uh, start by thanking you for all that you have, um, if you've uh, done uh, anything for us over the years, whether that's giving, whether it's praying, um, whether it's uh, collecting, uh, we are so grateful. We realise in Christian Aid that it only works because of the actions of thousands of people um, around the UK and Ireland. <laughs> So I've been with Christian Aid for just over three years. And when I was considering um, moving to Christian Aid, I realized that whilst I'd known about them for most of my life, um, I'd seen the signs and I'd heard different campaigns, I would struggle to articulate to somebody else what exactly the work was that Christian Aid was doing. I knew it was vaguely something about poverty, but I probably couldn't have explained much more than that. 
And I wonder if you can identify with that. You've probably heard of Christian aid uh, for a long time, but maybe if I asked you to turn to the person beside you and to tell them what we do, maybe you would struggle. And it's going to be difficult for me in 20 minutes this morning to tell you everything that we're involved in because it's vast. I say most days in work, every day is a school day in Christian aid because there's so much to learn. But over the three years, um, I have been, what I've, I've been really impressed by the heart of Christian aid, the heart of the organisation. And, and that's things like the desire to care for the most vulnerable people around the world. So whether that's Nelson and Nathan in Zimbabwe, or it could be refugees fleeing to Bangladesh, or it could be human rights defenders in Latin America. It's tricky to see this one um, up close, but it's a kind of a collage of various posters and slogans that Christian Aid has used over the years. These ones are, are maybe um, bef way before, way before my time. And the point of showing you that is because I think that Christian Aid has been quite bold over the years, um, provocative even, and provocative to people of faith, to Christians, wanting us to think about what does it really mean to be a Christian um, in a land of plenty, but in a world of need. You'll see, if you can see some of those posters, they, um, the, the tagline might seem innocent, but then alongside the picture, they really want to challenge our thinking. And, and, and it makes us uncomfortable, some of what those posters are saying. But Christian Aid feels really strongly about um, bringing a prophetic voice to people of faith, a prophetic challenge, but also to leaders, world leaders, and to challenge those unjust structures that keep people in poverty and oppression. I love the determination in Christian aid to get to the root of the problem, to keep asking why. Why does poverty persist? Why are people in this community oppressed? We wanna to get to the heart of the matter. We don't just want sticking plasters. We want long-term change. And that's why we are involved in advocacy and lobbying, which can be a very long road, but we believe it is vital if we really care um, about those around us, then we need to be involved in that. And lastly, I love the motivation that comes from being rooted in God's word, the belief that all people are created in God's image and therefore worthy of dignity and hope. <clears throat> so we read the words of Luke 10. Um, and as I said, it's maybe familiar passage to many of you. And um, hopefully we'll uh, get a little bit to think about from it a little later on. But first of all, let's think about the past couple of years because it has been a lot, hasn't it? We've had a pandemic, an invasion in Europe, and now a cost of living crisis. For most of us, particularly during the pandemic, the plans that we made went awry and we were unable to plan for the future. We might have been brave enough to book a holiday, but knowing in the back of our mind that that may not happen. Or the uncertainty of restrictions and lockdowns stopping and starting again. We have felt anxious for those close to us and for others in our communities. We've worried about the stability of our jobs and our income. We've worried for the health of our elderly parents and of our children. And the temptation in a time like this 
is to batten down the hatches, to say, I've got to look after myself and those closest to me. I am really worried. And so there's, there's no real room in my head or my heart to think about people far away or those not immediately in my sphere. I've had that temptation too. And yet, and yet it's at times like this that we as Christians want to be distinctive from the world around us, to be known for how we continue to love and to reach out. And yet Jesus taught here in Luke 10 that we are to love our neighbor without any caveats. He didn't say love your neighbor when it's convenient. Love your neighbor when things are going well and smoothly for you. When you have all your ducks in a row, then love your neighbor. When there's not a cost of living crisis, then love your neighbor. When it makes you feel warm and fuzzy, love your neighbor. No, he didn't say any of that. There were no caveats. Simply love your neighbor as yourself. In the passage, um, the expert in the law who questions Jesus, he knows the answer to his first question. He likely knows the greatest commandments already and he would have been able to recite them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Easy enough, eh? Wee buns. Well, actually, pretty challenging stuff. Love God with my whole heart, all my strength, all my mind. How can I be sure that I'm loving him with everything? And for someone like me, this is quite challenging because I love a list. Does anyone else love a list? Love to tick things off. I actually like to do a few things and then to go back and add them to the list because it makes me feel really productive. Maybe I'm alone in that, maybe. Um, but I like to know where I stand. I like to know that I've got things right, that I've met the mark. So what Jesus is saying, love God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbours yourself. It's a bit, oh, it's a bit big. I want specifics. You know, invite somebody for lunch, tick. Um, go to church on Sunday, tick. Read your Bible, tick. That would make me feel nice and safe and secure, but that's not how it works. So, but I can understand then why this expert in the law asks the next question. I get that I have to love my neighbor as myself. It's a pretty tall order, so it would be a lot easier for me, Jesus, if you would tell me exactly who my neighbor is so that I can live according to that and then get it right tick the box. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd brought a map to Jesus and said, could you just mark out where my neighbours are and where they're not so that I can live according to that. And Christianity in Ireland, we do think a lot about who are our neighbours. And we hear about need in the world all the time. There's a lot of bad news out there, isn't there? Just have to turn on the TV, scroll through social media and you're inundated with bad news. It can be a little overwhelming. Last year, we heard a lot about Ukraine and the needs there. You will have heard about Pakistan and the flooding. Um, and Christian Aid is really active in lots of places around the world. In Ukraine, we are working with our partner organizations to meet immediate needs, 
to get people to shelter, to get them um, their, uh, their needs for food and safety and all of that met. But then also other things. There's lots of long-term work. And there was a project that I was reading about recently that I really loved um, the sound of. And in one of the shelters that our partners are running, they're using dog therapy with, with children to help them to think about and to face the trauma that they have witnessed and been through. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you would have thought of that, dog therapy, but I thought that was really, really, um, really interesting and really encouraging that that's happening. But another part of the world that we've been thinking a lot about over the past year um, is around East Africa. You may have seen some of the news reports from Somalia, where people are on the brink of famine. But this crisis is affecting people all across the Horn of Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia. Now, it's not on the news anywhere near as much as we would like it to be, um, but you may have heard a little bit about it in snippets. The past five rainy seasons have been insufficient. There just hasn't been enough rain to allow the crops to mature, and that's led to the worst drought in 40 years. Over 20 million people are affected. They're struggling to make ends meet, struggling to feed their families. There's lots of other repercussions for that as well and um, that we might not think of so immediately. So for example, uh, people, uh, pastoralists maybe need to move their livestock to different areas to get to feed them, to get water. So they're going further away from their families, leaving their families vulnerable, but also going into territory that might traditionally be another group's territory. And so there's greater level of conflict arising because of that. Or because if people are um, hungry and uh, parents feel frustrated that they're unable to feed their children, then actually that can create more tension in home, at the home, in the home, and more violence. Maybe children can't concentrate in school or they have to spend longer doing the jobs around the house that they would help with, like getting firewood or getting water, and it takes them longer because they have to go further so they don't get to go to school, or maybe they don't have enough money for transport or uniforms. So there's, there's wider repercussions than simply not having enough food. The photograph is from Kenya. Um, on your right is Rosamond Bennett, who leads Christian Aid Ireland, and on your left is Fatuma, who is a 65-year-old farmer. She's eight children, um, and she's a member of a self-help group in her um, area, and she lives in Marsabit County in Kenya. And she said the groups were a real eye-opener. We soon realised how much more we could do as a group. We have been progressing well, but now we're badly affected by the drought. We have no meat or milk to sell. We can't water our vegetables, our vegetables because there's not enough water. We're losing a lot of animals. No one has cattle anymore. They were trained by Christian Aid and our partners there to grow nutritious vegetables in a communal garden. But then, rising fuel costs linked back to the invasion of Ukraine has meant that they, the group hasn't been able to use the pump to irrigate the crops. And then there's been the drought, so the communal garden has shrunk down in size. Fatuma has only been able to grow a small amount of kale, and here she is showing it to Rosamond, and you can see that it is pretty brown and shriveled. Fatuma said to Rosamond, the weather has changed over the last 10 years. Now we have prolonged drought. There have been no rains for the last four to five seasons, and we're losing a lot of animals. No one has cattle anymore. 
And we know that part of the problem causing these droughts to become more frequent in the Horn of Africa is our changing climate, as I was talking to the kids about. The way that we live now with high levels of consumption and high CO2 output contributes to heating up the planet. So often those who are least responsible for it, who have um, had a lower consumption lifestyle, people like Fatima, actually are the ones who suffer the most. Okay, back to us. Well, it's a pity, isn't it? And it's sad and it's hard to hear about. But what does that have to do with me? I've never been to Ethiopia or Kenya or Somalia. I don't even know if I could point to it on a map. Well, yes, I do eat food and drink things that come from all around the world, but it could have come from anywhere. Yes, I do. Um, my, I know my lifestyle contributes to the changing climate, but still, Fatuma isn't my neighbour. Is she? I don't have anything to do with her suffering, so whilst it makes me sad, I'm really not sure there's anything that I can do to help. Right? Back to Luke 10. So Jesus, of course, in his way, answers uh, this person's question with a parable, tells a story, um, as he really liked to do, and he turns some assumptions on their heads for the people listening. He says some things that were pretty radical and would have caused a ripple and maybe even some offence in the group that was listening. But ascribing to them the people who crossed the road away from the man in need and the people who met the needs, Jesus was challenging this idea that it's rules and rituals that make us right before God. The priest and the Levite who would have had responsibility um, for the Jewish people to follow the different rules and perform the different rituals, make sacrifices, um, ensure that they were following their guidelines, uh, and, and, and make sure that people were right with God. Actually, they were the ones who crossed the road, and they crossed the road partly because of those rules and rituals, because they didn't want to become unclean. But Jesus doesn't command them for it. It's someone else in the story that he commands. So instead of being rules and rituals, it's that as we experience this great grace of God in the form of Christ coming to take the punishment for our sins, that we then want to extend that out to others. We want, when we've received that, we want to reflect his great and expansive love for us because grace gets to work, doesn't it? Grace works. And I know that's a series that you started last week. But Jesus also challenges this idea of who our neighbours are, of who we really ought to care about or extend love and compassion to. Our neighbours aren't necessarily the people that we think we are. They're not the people that we naturally tend towards or those who are just like us. Our neighbours are anyone in need. This would have been huge for the listeners at the time that a Samaritan would be held up as an example to follow would have been radical. In fact, some people might have been downright outraged at that idea. What does that mean for us? that our neighbours aren't simply the people that we live beside, that we can't take out a map and draw a certain uh, circumference, radius, and, and, and think, well, it's inside that I'll worry about, and outside that I won't. Actually, our neighbours can be anyone we come across in need. And you might say to me, yes, that does make sense, but still, what can I really do to help Fatima and her family? And most of us may never travel to Ethiopia, to Kenya, or to Somalia. 
We may never go there. And I don't think that it is up to you or I to solve this whole problem. Of course not. But that's where Christian Aid comes in and other organizations like us. We want to partner with you and others like you to help people like Fatima. We're in this together. We have the partners in Kenya who can help Fatima and they can work with her and her family to address these challenges. And actually those organizations have the expertise and the experience required to do what's needed. But we all have the capacity to be a part of that chain of events through our giving and through our prayers and our advocacy around climate change as well. So for example, Christian Aid is supporting people in Fatima's area through one of our local partner organizations called CIFA. And we've been able to help around 31,000 people in this county, Marsabit County, with food and um, with cash grants. We, we feel strongly about giving out cash grants to families so that they can decide for themselves what it is that they really need. We've also been helping to repair boreholes, providing water for thousands of families. And then we've also been calling uh, for action from our government to do more to tackle climate change through reducing our own emissions and providing financial support to countries like Kenya, Ethiopia and Somalia to support those who are most vulnerable to the impacts. Since the end of 2021, we have been lobbying for a loss and damage fund, which is what it sounds like, uh, a fund, a financial fund set up by developed governments who recognise we have been responsible for the majority um, of what has led to climate change. And they put money into this fund, and then that money is used to help vulnerable communities who are suffering, but not because of their own actions, because of ours. And 26,000 people around the UK, including Northern Ireland, actually joined that petition and added their voice to it. And if you were one of those, thank you so much. And we, COP27 took place last November. You maybe would have heard about it in the news. It went on for, I think, about 10 days. And we were getting pretty discouraged during that time because not much was kind of getting agreed and happening. But right at the 11th hour and the last night, a loss and damage fund was agreed. This is really big news and a really big deal. Now, of course, it's not the end of the story because now the fund actually has to be set up and it has to do what, it's set, what they say that it will do and it has to get money and it has to go to the right people. So there's a whole long journey, but we are so thankful to God that that decision was agreed at COP27. And I think it shows that we can make a difference. 26,000 people added their name to that. Um, it might have felt really small, but look what it has in part led to. So through loving God with all that we have and loving our neighbours as ourselves, this is where real life is found. Jesus says so himself. The strength to love our neighbours comes through having that firm foundation in Christ. As we're changed by him, he gives us what we need to help others. And it's a marker for those who don't yet know Christ lights in the darkness because as we said there's a lot of bad news out there isn't it doom scrolling isn't that what it's called when we just flick on our phones and it's bad news after bad news and so for people that's what they're seeing and feeling and if we can show glimpses and glimmers of what God is like that compassion then it brings light in the darkness and because of people choosing to do that 
we have been able to help Fatuma and change her and her family's life. There, and there are many who are loving their neighbours as themselves as themselves to enable this to happen. So do consider your response today. Maybe think, I've got some um, just outside the door on there's a white cabinet um, beside the tap thing. Um, there's magazines. I'd love you to take a magazine to read it, to be encouraged by what God's doing around the world and then to pass it on. Um, if you would like to consider giving monthly, we would be so appreciative. People who give monthly really are the backbone of any organisation and there's little forms out the back as well. And we work in a system in Christian Aid of church reps. So somebody in a church who has said, yep, I feel really strongly about this and I want to be part of the solution. I want to be part of helping people all over the world. And you become the link between Christian Aid and your church. And if you feel that that's something you would consider taking on, then please do come and speak to me. Um, and we can pass the information to you and you decide this is something we can help with and this is maybe something to leave, that's up to you. So please do come and speak to me. And then of course, pray for us. Continue to pray for the work that we do in the magazine will really help you in doing that. I have a friend, um, she just turned 70, but I've known her for a good few years. And whenever I first met her, Mary told me, um, I, you know, I just, I've stopped, I stopped watching the news because it's too much. Can anyone identify with that? that feeling, it is overwhelming, it's so bad, I don't know what to do to help. But at the same time as doing that, she also prayed that God would break her heart for something that broke his. Now that's a dangerous prayer to pray. Only, you know, pray that one at your own risk. But that's what she prayed and she was at a conference and she heard about a particular need in a particular country and she felt that her heart broke. And she cried and she prayed and someone else prayed for her and she thought, I don't know what to do about this, it's too big. And the person praying for her said, Mary, just do the next thing. And so at that stage, the next thing for her was to go home, go online and set up a monthly direct debit. Mary, just do the next thing. She took a glass jar and she filled it with lots of little pieces of paper with prayers on them. And every day for a year, she would take that out and she would pray about this country and this need that she had learned about every day for a year. Mary, just do the next thing. She would have got invitations to speak at women's groups and she used those invitations to talk about this need that God had broken her heart for. Just do the next thing. So that's my challenge to all of us this morning, is to ask God, what is my next thing? It's not on us to solve all these problems, but we can take the next step, do the next thing. So I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to hand back to William. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And please do come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to chat. Um, but I hope that you do feel encouraged that amongst the bad news that we hear all the time that God is at work.